Good morning. I'm Anna Marie, and it's time again for Focus. Today, we're talking with Trina Frierson, the co-founder, president, and CEO of Mending Hearts. It's a nonprofit here in the Nashville area, and we've got a lot to talk about today. So we're going to do part of our interview today and then wrap it up next weekend. But we do want to let you know that the Mending Hearts organization does have a fundraiser. This is a big, big fundraiser for their nonprofit called the Mending Hearts Rise 17th Annual Breakfast. We're going to put information and links on our Focus Facebook page. But now let's talk with Trina. My name's Trina Frierson, born and raised in East Nashville on the corner of Fifth and what is now Vernon Winfrey Boulevard. Uh, we used to call it Bayard, but you know, after Winfrey did his community activists in the community, they named the street after Mr. Vernon Winfrey. Okay. Yeah, which is Oprah's father. Yeah. And so uh, we grew up in that neighborhood. In fact, uh, you know, I, I owe a lot of my life to him uh, for where I am now in the workforce industry. He gave me my first job at 12 years old. But but the greatest credit goes to my mom, who worked two jobs. I mean, I, I don't ever recall her not working two jobs, raising six kids by herself as mm-hmm. a single mother. So we may have to go back a little more on that because that's a pretty interesting start right there. But do you feel like that might be where you got your heart for helping women? Yeah, you know, my mother, uh, not only raising her six kids as a single mother, uh, our house was like Big Mama's house. It was a community house. You know, there were people that spent the night at our house all the time. You know, there was a guy up the street that our cousin, like he literally lived seven, eight houses up the street, but he literally lived in our house. He had Christmas with us. And like, you know, we had toys under the tree. He had toys under the tree. And so my mom, like when she cooked every Sunday, like a lot of our meals were cooked meals. We we weren't, you know, out of the grocery store packaged meal. She cooked the homemade biscuits, you know, mm-hmm. um, just a feast. You know, I can remember in hard times, my mama taking whole chickens and cases of Roman noodles mm-hmm. And dumping them all in the pot and chopping up the vegetables, the celeries, the carrots to go in it. Man, you're talking about some of the best chicken noodle soup. Like, <laughs> what? You know, but I watched her sacrifice, put things together. But what I also seen was a community who watched her sacrifice and make ends meet. And I watched that community pour into her. And, like, people would be bringing over their leftovers and people would always be looking out for her. And when she would have things, she would go share with neighbors as well. But there were just so many families in the community. When I got brought up in East Nashville on Fifth Street, like, listen, if I got in trouble up the street, like by the time I got home, I couldn't act like I didn't <laughs> because they were already on the phone when I was walking through the door. Yeah. So, like, you listen, you're going to get the whooping here or there. You might just get two. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but it was a beautiful thing how that community was on a united front. And it wasn't about this family. There were a couple of families more established than we were, but we were never looked upon less than. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't we didn't I, I, we didn't engage in any of that coming up. It was united. You know, and if you got to fighting, listen, as kids. I, I, the community center, Cleveland Street, raised me. Now, listen, they taught me all kind of sports, basketball. My my scholarship uh, from high school to college. Mm-hmm. Listen, I grew up at the community center. When Mama was at work, that was our daycare. And so we learned a lot of things down there. And so if you got into a fight, right, 
listen, you duped it out, and then guess what? You go cool out, but you got to make back up to, in order to get back in the center. So you had to come in some form of communication. Yeah. And so, like, you, you sacrificed your differences there. And even in our community, it worked the same way. The moms talked and said, hey, let's let them cool out. Hey, if we don't do nothing but eat down here this week, let's get them back at the table. And so oh. we just, you know, we grew up different back then than we do now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, things that, you know, that were different for me uh, that I do now we didn't get to do at the table back then is that, you know, back then there were things that you really couldn't open up at the dinner table with. What do you mean? Um, it was just things that you couldn't, like, I couldn't open up and say, uh, Mama, uh, Janice is smoking weed at the center. But the truth is me and Janice were smoking weed, right? Right. And so you couldn't go to the dinner table and say that to mom, right? Right. But, you know, I opened the table up at the dinner table while we're eating in today's time. Uh, when my kids was growing up, one is because I'm now in recovery, right? And I remember, like, if I could have had some of these conversations earlier, I may not have used, right? Mm-hmm. But I didn't get to have those conversations. It was always a sneaky hush thing. Yeah. And so as we were coming up, as my kids were coming up, and we had the family reunions and things. And so I asked, I always trick my kids and say, which one of y'all got in the Kool-Aid? Oh, I made some Kool-Aid. So I'm talking about that other Kool-Aid they had at the family reunion. Which one of y'all drunk some? I said, listen, we got a good, honest meeting right now. If you tell the truth today, you don't get any consequences. But if somebody else tell me the truth, then that's where your consequences. That gave them the floor to say, I drunk some. And the Kool-Aid meaning? Mixed with alcohol. With alcohol. Yes. Spiked Kool-Aid. Spiked Kool-Aid. And mm-hmm. so when they when they when I opened that door, I had the opportunity when they got honest, I had the opportunity to say, Did you like it? What did it make you feel like? So now we got some dialogue. Mm-hmm. Do you plan on trying it again? What's your goal with it? And so I get to have these conversations because listen, just because I'm in recovery. And I've given up my right to ever use or drink again socially. I can't ever do it. Never, ever. You know, so but that doesn't mean that my kids can't go to the restaurant and have a glass of wine Mm -hmm. or they can't do the things that they like to do socially. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be bound from this, but they could be if we don't provide them with the adequate information. Mm -hmm. And so my duty as a mother now is to educate them not only about how to make a living for yourself, not only about paying your bills, but how do you get around this world socially? Wow. Because there are going to be things you're going to be offered, and it's going to look interesting, and you got to make a conscious decision. Yeah. Do you accept it or not? Every pill ain't a good pill, and especially if it doesn't come from the doctor. Mm-hmm. And so the things that you're going to try before you get 21, I'm asking you, to try either in the company of your home or with somebody close, a sibling, mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're going to look after you, right? Right. You're going to do some sneaky stuff without telling me. <laughs> yeah, I know you are, right? That's what kids do. Yeah. And so because of that, you know, and kids are grown now, you know, and, and they have a social life. I don't interrupt it. But, you know, statistics say that my kids are supposed to be on a street corner in a treatment center. They're supposed to be drugged out. Or incarcerated, right? Statistics say that. Statistics. Listen, 
I'm a 17-time felon. I'm a recovering long-term addict, right? Yeah. Come April the 27th, it will be 25 years for me. Congratulations. Right? And so, so statistics show us that, you know, the family genetics, mm-hmm. like when you go into a repeated cycle, that's the revolving door not only for you but for your family too. Oh, wow. Because we're institutionalized. We don't know anything else. Right. And until we break the stigma and the cycle of institutionalization, then guess what? Those that come behind me follow my system. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful to have been able to break the cycle for my family, right? Mm-hmm. And that, like, my kids get to see me in a different light, and they get to see hope and new possibilities, mm-hmm. and that if it can happen for their mom, it can happen for their friend's mom and their friends and anyone else. Mm-hmm. But they also know that that person has to be open and willing. See, it ain't just about stop using and don't use. You got to be willing. But even to be willing, you got to be in an atmosphere of willingness. Like, I, I, I can't be over there with Barbara and, and Billy and them who are my negativity factors, right? They're not ready to stop, not no, even thinking No, they didn't even it. contemplate. Yeah. And so I've got to go over here with Sarah and them. I've got to come over here with Sarah and them. You know, Sarah and Sam, you know what I'm saying, who's got a spiritual foundation, who's like getting up, being productive, and, mm-hmm. and they may not be in the highest esteem of places, but they're doing something spiritually. And even when they're triggered, they're talking about it, and they got a support system to talk to. Oh. And so it's all about communication, support systems, and really people who are just like me who've been where I've been, oftentimes we go to places like treatment centers and hospitals and we wonder why people don't succeed. A lot of us have been studied through a book, which some of it is factual and some of it's not factual. You know what I'm saying? Some of it's theory, right? Mm -hmm. But for us who have lived experience, we are the best antidote for another recovering person. Why? I've got the footprint. I went through the fire. And so I came out and not only was I burnt and scarred, but guess what? I've been restored. My flesh has been like restored. My skin is smoothed back out. You know, you don't even see half of the scars that I'm supposed to have because I've been restored. But that's through a spiritual foundation. That's through faith. That's through a support system. That's through resources. That's through people loving me without my permission. Loving you without your permission. Loving me without my permission. Whoa. Yeah. You know, people oftentimes, um, it's it, it's almost like if you go to a grocery store, right, and somebody opens the door for you, like they did that without your permission. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so while I was sick, in my disease thinking and, you know, people were praying for me without my permission. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? My mama's people, her friends and her church members and the other people across the street, they prayed for me. Right. They didn't ask my mama. They did it. Yeah. Right. Love me without my permission. And it was things like that. And it was people in the jails, like all cops. There were police who arrested me. Like, they weren't just bad cops, right? There were some good people said, cops that said, Trina, your mama is turning over in her grave 
because she didn't raise you like this. I want you to get yourself together. These are police officers. Yeah. Now, there were some dirty cops, right? We got to be realistic about it, right? But there, I ran into more good cops than I did bad cops. Yeah. And even being incarcerated, there were counselors. Listen, <laughs> a counselor went and into my family's house, took my baby, saved my baby so that the state could not get my baby and took them to another family group home in Alabama so that my third child wouldn't be locked up in the state's custody, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. She did that without my permission and then came and told me, you know, she she did some illegal things that could have caused her to lose her job. She brought my baby into the jails to see me and snuck me to a visitation. She believed in me without my permission. I didn't do anything. Yeah. I was just there. But oftentimes I believe that like when you're spiritually fed and grounded, you know, you have the lenses that can see within and like you got to see past the rubbish. Right. You have that gift of discernment. Yes. And so people could see past all my rubbish and like, man, they believed in me and like they loved me without my permission. And that's part of the reason I'm here. Like, like I'm clean today. It's because there were people back there that believed in me and kept pushing me. And like, you're not your choices that you made back then. We're talking today, if you're just joining us, this is Focus. And we're talking with Trina Frierson, the co-founder, president, and CEO of Mending Hearts. It's a nonprofit that helps women. And we're getting Trina's backstory because this is important because this is what Mending Hearts is still doing today. Yes. What was done to you without your permission is what you're doing today. So was there a turning point for you? Was there like a something clicked or was it a process? What happened, Tina? Yeah, it was the light came on. You know, my last time of incarceration, you know, I got off for 30 years at 30% um, for drugs and weapons. And, and, you know, the bottom line is that one of those weapons had a body on it, meaning that somebody got killed with it. Mm. But, you know, I bought the guns hot in a drug deal and so all that came up, but I knew I hadn't killed nobody. So you go back and forth to court trial or whatever. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, they knew it wasn't me. I got off at an 80 30, meaning that I'd do a year flat, seven years of paper. And so within that, I had already served a lot of time in jail. But after I go to court serving almost a year, a year, they come back and say, do another year. Mm-hmm. And I'm screaming and hollering because prior to that, I had been incarcerated for two years. I get out for two months and I don't last but two months and I'm locked up again. Yeah. And what happens is that I'm out and I'm looking for this job. Yeah. I'm using the tools they gave me, but I'm going knocking on these doors looking for employment. And this is the favorite saying, don't call us, we'll call you. Right. Because you were a felon at that point. I was a felon. And so they're looking at my past. They're they're like, no, yeah. she ain't going to work, right? Yeah, no, you weren't a good bet for them. No, and this one man, this Caucasian man, told me, he said, I don't know who's going to hire you with all them felonies. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't. That crushed me. The little bit of self-esteem that I had at that time went bankrupt. So when I got off at City Bus back on 5th Street, I got off the bus. 
And back then, there was still, you know, the Joes and the Blows hanging on the corners and the people that I used to run with. And I got off that bus, and there was a guy there, and he was like, what are you doing? And I said, shh, man, I just got turned down. I've been looking for a job. This ain't working. I said, I, I think I'm going to just have to go do what I always do, right? He said, here. He said, go get on your feet. I said, listen, man, I don't, I don't even know if I can pay you back. I don't know. He gave you, know, you some money? No, he gave me a bag of drugs, a to bag of cocaine to sell, to sell okay. and get back on my feet, right? Gotcha. But but so if we don't ever understand anything about the drug world, mm-hmm. like listen, remember this. He offered me that bag and said, "Don't worry about it." I said, "I I don't know if I can pay you back when what." He said, "No, I'm giving you that. The first one is always free." Mm. Because we know that if we give you the first one, you're going to want the second one, the third and the fourth one, because you're always chasing the first one. Yeah. See, see, it's not that we're going to get any higher. It's not that it's going to be better the next time. We want the first original one. <laughs> that one that, like, sent the fire engine sounds off and the bells and the whistles. That's what you're chasing, mm-hmm. that thrill, right? Yeah. But you'll never, ever get that first one again. The first one is a first one for a reason, right? It's first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You might get another first in something else, but not that same first. Yeah. And so we don't comprehend that in addiction. We're still looking for the first one. And so when he gave me those drugs, I was back off to the races. Wow. I was back in the cycle. Yeah. And for you know what? I was back in jail. And so this last time, the wake up for me was I called home one day and my oldest child, she was about nine or 10. And I remember telling her, I said, when mama get out, we're going to the circus, going to park, you know, we're going to get our own place and we're just going to change our scenery. Right. And this little girl said to me, mama, that's what you always say every time you go to jail. And something in me felt like there was a knife, you know, with the rigid edges on it. Yeah. Felt like something just stuck me and turned. And I remember going to my bunk, just bawling, crying. And my counselor said, Why aren't you in group? And I got to crying and snotting and telling about the conversation with my child. She said, First things first, did it hurt because she told you the truth? Or are you hurting because of the shame and guilt? She said, What is it? She said, It's one thing your daughter told you the truth, but can you tell yourself the truth? Whoa. It hurt even worse. <laughs> right? You're like, you're not helping me. Not at all. <laughs> like you're making it worse. Like you're supposed to pamper me and put me back. Right. But that was her pamper me. Yeah. Telling me the truth. Yeah. And she said, you can either do a couple of things. You can accept the truth that your daughter gave you and figure out what part of it you own and go back in group and talk about it. She said, but the other thing, quit calling home making false promises that you're not sure you can keep. Why are you in here locked up trying to promise and control things on the outside Wow! while you're on the inside and you can't even access it? She said, but better yet, why didn't you do that when you were out there? And so, like, I had hardcore treatment coming through. Yeah. And so I, I got there and I stayed a year. But leaving there was really key and important. I think the key to me and why I'm part here today is because when they release me, usually they release you and they put you back on hard in place. You got this white knitted bag. I came out with three T-shirts, two, two pair of jogging pants, 
you usually go to the corner. You either catch a ride, call your ride, catch a bus. But this time I didn't do that. They had somebody, they had quartered me to a halfway house. And they picked me up at the gate, which we called Roll Up One. Rolled what? Roll Up One. Out there at CCA detention. It's called Roll Up One. And like, listen, we always know when somebody getting out. Um, Commander such and such, uh, get ready for access at Roll Up One. And so you're going through this part, and it's like where the counter trucks and stuff come through. But that's how they let you out the door. You don't get to walk out the front door. Uh, they're right? going to roll up. Yeah, roll up one, get right? Okay. And we would always be back in the sales when people are um, getting released. And one of our favorite saying was, Pharaoh, let my people go, <laughs> right? And so we'd be back in there chanting every time we heard that, man. And so uh, it was a real celebrating time for people to be getting out. But it was a sad time because some of those people would be coming back in like two weeks later. Uh. You know, so 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 it was a it was a touchy moment. But for me, I think the groundbreaking piece for me was is that they had somebody in a van waiting on me and I didn't get to go up the hill and down the hill to the bus stop. But I came out that door and I got in that van with my little bag Mm -hmm. and they took me to this halfway house. You knew where you were going and that there were people there. I didn't. You didn't know. Didn't they told me to trust the process this one time? I didn't know. I heard of the house, but I didn't know, right? Yeah. And when I got there, there was a woman there that I used to use drugs with in the streets. And her name back then was G Money. And I walk in this house and I say, What's up, G Money? She said, My name is not G Money. My name is Janae. We do not use the street names. I no longer go by that name. My name is Janae. I said, okay. She said, I will not be calling you T-Fry. I will be calling you Trina or Katrina. I said, okay. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, and I done brainwashed her. Right? <laughs> and so it was a little scary for me, but she got to running down the rules. She was like, you won't get food stamps because you're a felon, you know, um, but you can go this food bank, this food bank, and if you go on Wednesday, they'll give you a hot meal too. She said there are closed closets at these churches, but she said, I'm telling you now, they don't have a lot of big people clothes. You know, she just ran it all to mm-hmm. me. And so I started going to those food banks, but something happened along the way is that when I was bringing those boxes in, eggs, peanut butter, you know, the can of tuna, one stack of crackers, quarter loaf of bread, mm-hmm. You know, it, it was that, right? You might get a quart of milk and a box of cereal, or you get those oats or something like yeah. that, right? Yeah. And so I would bring that in, man, and I was trying to make ends meet off of that. And I guess they seen me or something, and they was like, hey, why don't you eat this? Why are you just eating it? I was like, man, I got to find a way to get some food. You know, they won't give me food. They said, no, 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 no. You keep going to the food bank, and whatever box they give you, mm-hmm. You bring it to the house, and it's your contribution to the food. And when we eat, you eat. And I was like, well, that ain't fair. No, Trina, we're, 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 listen, if I bought it, you can have it. In fact, I make sure that I have enough for you. And it became a domino effect. And so, like, even with the bus pass, I couldn't buy a bus pass. And one girl said, hey, I'm off these two days. You can use my bus pass. Mm-hmm. She said, you go out and look for your job. 
It became a domino effect. Then one girl had a car. She said, hey, I don't have to work these two days. I can take you. You know, and, and, and they just, I mean, they loved me without my permission. Like, I didn't go in their room and say, hey, can you do this? Can you do mm-hmm. this? Like, they just offered this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so, as a result, I'm in this place, and then I start getting subpoenaed to court. Now... To deal with your issues. My issues and my children who oh. have all in state custody, and I've lost parental rights. Okay. So now, right, I'm subpoenaed to court, and, like, I go to court, and I'm thinking, okay, they done forgot to arrest me for something. Oh, so I'm back. no. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I'm back, and I find out it's in juvenile. So I'm like, okay, they want me to pay child support, but I ain't got a job. What I'm going to tell them. And then I get there, and it's me, the father, and the aunt, and my daughter. And my daughter's like, I want my mama. And, like, I'm thinking she's so mad at me because I've abandoned neglected her, but she still want her mama. She still want her mama. Yeah. And so I'm explaining to her that I can't take her because I have I'm in a halfway house and that I've lost all my parental rights. But I'm gonna visit, I'm gonna send you stuff for Christmas, I'm gonna be there. And like I messed up. And so the guardian at light, she said, Hold on, hold on. Let's save some of that conversation. And like I ain't hearing none of that, right? They went over my head. But anyway, we're in debate about where this child's ready to go. We'd like to give it back to a family if we couldn't. And so the father's like, well, I'm about to go to treatment, and my sister can't take her. My mama's too old, and blah, blah, blah. And so the judge said, well, Ms. Fryers, I hear that you're in recovery now. You're doing good, and you've been in the treatment program. I said, yes, sir. And I'm thinking I'm finna get a hall pass on this child support, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, okay. And then the father said, well, I don't want my child with her because of the life she lived and blah, blah, blah. And uh, he was like, okay, but you're headed into treatment, into treatment. and you're already been to treatment, you're in recovery. And so, and so he went to say a couple of things, and then he said, boop, I ordered this child back to her mother today, right? And people in the courtroom are clapping, but I'm over here, whoa, 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 oh. your honor. I live in a halfway house. We can't accept kids, right? Because part of me, is afraid. Yeah. I hadn't been a mother. I've abandoned them. I've neglected them. Like, and so I have no grounds to even be in this position. Like I'm questioning the judge's decision. Like, and so I go out of there not happy. I go back to the house and I'm crying to my roommates. And what they say is, Trina, don't worry. We're going to get a big house and we're going to help you be a mother to that daughter. And we each going to take a room or we'll share a room because you and her have to have your own room. And we're going to show you how to raise her. And we tried for a house, but wouldn't nobody give us one. The counselor at my outpatient center co-signed for us a house. And she said, Trina, I'm not worried about nobody else. And and, and I know you're going to do right. I believe in you. And I know you're going to be a mother. I didn't have no choice. <laughs> But to do right. All I got surrounding me is love and support. Wow. Like I'm cushioned with everything I need. And so like I could find a whole lot of things that were wrong or wasn't right. But like it was like God handed me all the support I need. And these people didn't want nothing in return but for me to do right and do good. And so as a result, man, 
We got in this house. We start doing it. And in the meantime, the jail is calling me, questioning me. Like, are you really clean? Are you really not living that lifestyle? Are you really not living that lifestyle, Trina? How are you living without fast money? How are you doing that? I said, man, it's a big sacrifice. I said, but when you come home every day and you look around and you got clothes and you got food and you got water, I said, it's really all you need. Wow. I said, and the people here have supported me all the way. And what I didn't have, they helped provide. And they didn't want nothing for it. I said, now my job is to pay it back. And so I would go to the jails and tell my story, and people start calling and said, hey, Trina, when I get out, man, will you show me? Because if you can make it, <laughs> like, I know who you were. Yeah. If you can make it, if you can do it, I know I can do it. And so when they got out, you know, I would start writing this little list. When you get out, go here to get food, go here to get clothes. You can find jobs here that really don't pay much. You know, there's a, a call center here that you can get on with no problem. And I would write this stuff out and mail it back to them. I started writing, we need a resource center, right? And I was writing down this little program. I showed it to a friend, and he said, Trina, you got a, a program. I said, no, it's a resource center. It's going to be in a building. Women get out of jail. They get dropped off here, and we provide the resources from showing them where to get a house at, the whole nine yards, right? right? And that's what it was supposed to be. And he said, no, listen, that's a program. Revisit it. Now, by this time, I'd have moved away from my roommates over there. We got us a house, me and my partner over here. And now I'm headed back to court because now I guess the judge done got amnesia or something and <laughs> forgot that they gave me one child back without my permission. Now I'm court ordered to get another back, and it's like a domino effect, right? And so now I got these kids, and, like, we're in this house, and God done blessed me with one of those uh, new um, – first-time home buyers, houses over in North Nashville, and we bought it, and, like, I'm outgrowing this house now. It's brand new. And so as I got thinking about moving, my mate said, Trini, you need to keep this for your ministry. You need to hold this. And I was like, no, man, we need grants. We need a board. We need donations. Because by this time, not only are we working full-time, but I started a cleaning service. All right, Trina, we're going to have to stop right there and continue our interview next week. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you join us again next week. We're going to talk more about Mending Hearts, a local nonprofit, and what they do to help women right here in our own community. The Mending Hearts organization does have a fundraiser. This is a big, big fundraiser for their nonprofit called the Mending Hearts 17th Annual Breakfast. We're going to put information and links on our Focus Facebook page. The actual event is Friday the 26th of March. Make sure you join us next week. I'm Anna Marie, and that's Focus.